Hello, welcome to another episode of Hear Her Sports, a female athlete podcast for all things female athlete. I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery. Each episode shares a conversation I've had with an absolutely amazing female athlete or woman in sport. We always cover so much ground from training, nutrition, and psychology to science, research, mental health, and coaching. And here today is Canadian Olympic sailor Sarah Douglas. She was born in Burlington, Ontario, and grew up on the island of Barbados, where she started to sail at the age of seven. She started out sailing in the Optimist, a small, single-handed dinghy often used by kids. Sarah competed as a junior in the North American and World Championships and became the Canadian national champion before the age of 15. After growing out of the Optimist, Sarah returned to Canada in 2008 and transitioned into the Laser Radial or Ilka 6 class, also a single-handed boat, but much faster and more agile than the Optimist. Sarah quickly became one of the top youth sailors in Canada, and in 2010, she qualified and represented Canada at the inaugural Youth Olympic Games in Singapore, where she took the 10th spot, and also the Youth Nationals, where she placed second. After that, she took a few years off due to some frustrations that we talk about in the episode. During that time, she coached and earned a Bachelor of Commerce in Marketing Management at the University of Guelph. But in 2014, Sarah heard Canadian Olympic gold medalist Rosie McLennan speak about her experience training and competing, and she was inspired to get back to sailing to pursue her own dream of an Olympic gold. We talk about her change in perspective and how to balance process with the desire to win. Sarah now sails full-time and has been on the Canadian sailing team since 2015. She is ranked today as one of the best laser radial sailors in the world, has raced to impressive results at several international competitions, including a gold medal at the 2019 Pan American Games in Peru. She earned her place on the Canadian team for the Tokyo Olympics by placing sixth at the 2018 World Championships and first at the Canadian Olympic Trials in early 2021. At Tokyo, her first Olympic Games, she took sixth, the best Canadian female performance in an individual sailing event at any Olympics. In April 2022, at the World Sailing Hempel World Cup in Spain, the first major Olympic multi-class competition since Tokyo, Sarah won gold, her first podium finish at a world sailing competition, and her first career gold medal. One year later, she won another gold medal at the French Olympic Week, finishing just ahead of Tokyo 2020 and 2022 Ilka 6 World Championship gold medalist Anne-Marie Rindam. Sarah has won the Rolex Sailor of the Year Award twice and the Skipper's Plan Athlete of the Year Award three times. I'm so pleased to have her as a guest on Hear Her Sports, so let's welcome Sarah Douglas. Well, I'm certainly excited that you're here. You know, like, I know that you're busy, so... Thanks so much for taking the time. Appreciate it. Oh, thanks for reaching out. I'm uh, happy to chat. Sure. And do another podcast. They're fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're, you've are you been really busy. So where are you right this minute? Currently, I'm in New York City. Okay. Uh, tomorrow, I head back to France. I'm heading to Marseille, which is our 2024 Olympic venue. Oh, okay. So explain to me... I mean, I mean, we're sort of jumping into the middle of the story, but <laughs> explain to me, since you mentioned Marseille, what exactly you are doing there and, you know, why you go there. Yeah, so Marseille is our 2024 Olympic venue. So we're actually um, what you call a satellite village or a satellite field of play. So in 2024, the Olympics are going to be in Paris, but many sports actually have to be remote. And that's going to be the case for sailing because, of course, we need the water. 
Um, so we're heading south to the beautiful south of France of Marseille. And uh, for us in the sport of sailing, it's actually really important for us to learn about the venue because we are so weather dependent. The wind, the water, uh, the waves are unique to each venue. And we spend a lot of time learning, uh, researching and understanding the current and everything that goes into each venue. This year, I'm spending basically most of the summer in Marseille tracking all the data, collecting it all, and practicing in these specific conditions in a time that would be similar to the Olympics as well, because time of year plays a role into weather for us. And so I've done about three camps so far in Marseille, and I'm going to be spending um, June, July, and then September back in France. So I have sailed, so I know a little bit, but like my understanding of wind is really, really minimal. So could you explain a little bit more about like what you're trying to learn? And I gather that the wind this year during that time of year will be similar to next year at that time of the year. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. So we try to go to Marseille in what we call like the Olympic period. So in the same timing as the Olympics, where it's the same weather in South of France, like last summer and this summer and the year after, it'll be extremely hot. Um, So that's definitely a factor that we're going to be looking into and just the water temperatures, um, making sure you're staying cool and not getting overheated. That's a big thing that happens when we're in the sun for four hours of a day plus, probably more than that. And four hours probably just on the water, I would say. And then you have all the prep and post stuff still in the sun. So we spend a lot of time just figuring out those um, temperatures, figuring out the wind patterns because it's going to be more likely a lighter sea breeze type of bay um, or type of wind patterns that we'll have in Marseille. But the unique thing that we have in the south of France is we have a wind phenomenon called a Mistral wind. And it's basically, I'm not an expert on it and I'm still trying to learn, but it's basically a super windy system that comes through France and it's like 25 knots. It only will show up about 10 to 15% of the time in the summer. It shows up more in the spring and the fall, but there is a chance that we could get it um, during the Olympics. And when you have like that super windy stuff, it's a completely different day than our average light wind, hot weather that we'll probably have at the Olympics. So you have to be prepared for everything, which is why it's so important for us to practice in May, June, um, and then in the fall to get those mistral conditions along with the like summer heat, normal, um, or I guess typical conditions you get in Marseille. That's so fascinating. What kind of conditions would you like to see during the Olympics? You know, in the sport of sailing, we get such a mix. So I try not to be biased. Right. My main thing <laughs> I always say is I like it to be warm. I don't like to be cold, which I certainly will have that in the summer. It's actually extremely hot. Last summer, uh, I actually brought my ice vest down to France because it was so hot. It was just like Japan. That was the major thing in Tokyo was the extreme heat. And it felt just like it in the south of France last August. So that's going to be something just dialing in those like heating strategies and keeping cool 
Do you think you're going to wear the ice vest during the racing? Is that how you do it? We're not allowed. No, we're not allowed to wear it during. Okay. Um, probably it will be before racing. Um, in Tokyo, what we did, because it was extremely hot there, is I would wear an ice vest on the way out. And when the time came to like warm up for the actual race, I would take it off. Between races, I would put uh, ice bags in my life jacket to cool down and my coach would pour cold water over my head and there was um, a massive cooler full of ice. And then at the end of the day, I would put my ice vest back on and actually drink a ice slushy that we kind of developed. It was like a hydration ice slushy, like a little portable blender that my coach would make up. But it was kind of a joke. We'd be like, oh, I'll take a margarita after racing, please. Uh, because it was like lemonade flavored. Right. And we'll probably this summer, we're going to be seeing what is needed, um, how hot it will be in Marseille and what kind of strategies we'll apply if it's needed to wear the ice vest as much as we did in Tokyo. Or maybe it's just for an hour or two at the end of the day to cool down. Um, that's kind of the test of this year as well. You mentioned being on the water for four hours. Sort of explain the logistics of, you know, a competition day. You know, you, you get up in the morning and you get to the water and, and like, then what happens? Um, yeah. So, well, I guess the first step of the day is we've got scheduled racing. So say the sport of sailing, like in what we do, it's typically like an 11 or a noon or a 1 p.m. start. It's pretty civilized because that's the best time for the wind. And we'll head out probably about an hour to. 30 minutes ahead of the first race of the day. Um, we're actually limited on when you can head out. I think it's like 90 minutes before the first race. And so I'll get down to the boat park. I'll rig my boat, get everything organized, get the food, get the cooler, um, whatever is required for that day, getting the right wetsuit and gear as well, uh, because clothing and making sure that you're dressed appropriately for the weather is also important in sailing. And we'll head out. On the way out uh, to the course, it could be either a sail or a tow, um, where the coach will tow me behind his motorboat. Sometimes it could be as small as like 10 minutes, or it could be a 20, 30-minute tow. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, factoring what course you are on that day uh, determines when you need to leave and how long of a tow that is. And then from there, get out on the water, start kind of warming up, discuss what we think with my coach um we've kind of already looked at the weather briefing or the forecast so we have an idea but we're kind of either dialing things in or, or ruling things out on what we think for the forecast what techniques we need and then i kind of go through a routine of kind of going upwind downwind um checking the course area and doing some starting practice and just kind of testing the current and then we do two races a day Races are typically like 45 minutes to an hour, and it's a mass start. So, it's we'll have 45 boats going around one course um, at a time, and it's kind of you know, you come first place, that's one point, 15th place, that's 15 points, and you're trying to collect the least amount of points at the end of the series. You mentioned your coach towing you out there, and, and it sounds like the coach is carrying you know, the cooler and whatnot. So the coach is allowed on the water while you're racing. I'm assuming not within the race, but somewhere nearby. Yeah. So depending on what competition it is, 
um, for a regular competition or World Cup, for the most part, they can follow along around like along the side of the course. And he's pretty good at spotting me as well. Um, that's probably where it's important to have like a Canada flag or right. um, wearing the same kind of like the I always wear a white hat and just have an idea of kind of what I look like on the water just so he can identify me. Also, I don't think his eyes are so great <laughs> these days. <laughs> so he's also got binoculars just in case. Um, so that's kind of typical. But what's unique about the Olympics is that often they're kind of limited to what we call like a little box. So behind the starting line, the coaches aren't allowed to leave this like area because of, you know, as they go around on a typical um, race day, as they go around the course, they create a lot of coach boat wake, mm. like motorboat wake. Yeah, and that can sure. affect us quite a lot. So during Olympics, they're confined to just that box and he can't really see anything. Like I remember finishing a race in Tokyo and him just saying, well, how was that? Tell, tell me about it. I couldn't see anything. So um, did that work out? And we kind of discuss everything. So it's, it's something different that you kind of have to adapt for during Olympic Games that your coach isn't going to see every detail, which is totally fine. And, and you should be prepared for that. But it is a factor. Before we get too far into all of this, explain a little bit about the boats that you're racing, because, you know, there's a bazillion boats that race during the Olympics. So talk about the one that you're racing. Yeah, so we have 10 disciplines in the sport of sailing um, at the Olympics. And I sail the woman's single-handed dinghy. It's about 14 feet, one sail, just me. It's a one design class. So every single boat is the same. And actually, in the, when it comes to the Olympics and world championships, we get provided boats. So there's no special boat uh, that the top people have. It's just it's a lottery system. You get the boat that you're supplied. and what I love about the Ilka 6 is the boat that I sail is that it's one design. It really comes down to the sailor. We're kind of considered the slow um, boat of the Olympics in that we work pretty hard to go, I don't know, like 10 kilometers an hour or something like that. But it's all about strategy, tactics, and reading the wind and less about speed. And I think that's a really cool feature. Um, or factor that we have in the sport, at least in the Ilka 6, that it really comes down to the sailor and it's not necessarily all about speed. It is a lot that goes on in your brain to kind of position and figure out the wind and um, the tactics against other competitors as well. Yeah, I gather you're a good tactician or strategist because we're going to talk about that later with the work that you're doing with the GP sailing. But uh, to continue with this, you talked about you know, learning about the wind and stuff. And I think you mentioned a spreadsheet. So <laughs> tell me more about your spreadsheets. <laughs> I'd love yeah, a good so, spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of spreadsheets in my life. So, I mean, with us, we're kind of basically a meteorologist or a mini meteorologist. I'm certainly not an expert and some other sailors are a lot better than me. Um, I don't have a huge passion towards it as others might have, but there's a lot of weather patterns and data to collect when it comes to wind and waves um, in each venue. So as we get closer to the Olympics and we know what the Olympic venue it is, we kind of try and figure out what the weather patterns that we have, you know, when the wind comes from say 200 to 260 degrees, um, this is what typically happens in this part of the Bay. And this is what, um, how it came around this, bend 
or land bend, say, in the bay. And typically, let's say the right works out on that course. So we, we've done quite a bit of data collection so far during the Olympic period last summer. And that's going to be one of our goals going ahead to this summer as well, is just figuring out somewhat of a playbook for the Olympic venue and figuring out what um, works so that you're not trying to figure it out every single day and be like, I really don't know what's going to happen with the wind when it comes around this corner um, and it bends into this big bay. Let's try and kind of eliminate those questions ahead of time so that we have somewhat of an idea or bias that it's going to, I guess, create less of a headache moving forward. It does seem, though, that, you know, like it's trying to control the uncontrollable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we'll have an idea of what's going to happen within the day. But, I mean, I mean, it's, we are weather dependent. Things always do change. But if you kind of have an idea of how wind works, that's pretty important for us. Um, the type of clouds that you're going to see that's going to make an impact on our race course. It's all going to be, okay, how is this going to make an impact on my race course? What do I do with this information and how do I apply it to winning or putting together a good race? Mm-hmm. That's so fascinating. I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, it just, as I said, it's like controlling the uncontrollable. Yeah. And luckily during the Olympics or a major event, we'll have a meteorologist help us and they'll send us forecasting and their beliefs for the day. Mm. Um, so we actually already know what our Olympic courses are going to be. So we have like four or five um, air course areas within the Bay of Marseille set out already. And so that's what we're collecting data from right now. And when it comes to the Olympic Games, he'll, our meteorologist will include those course areas and include what the wind is going to do and what he thinks and, and the likelihood and the probability. And that's really, really helpful just to free up the space in your in your brain when going into a day of racing that it's not completely filled with so many questions that someone's already kind of done that work for you and you can just kind of trust them and um, kind of have that in the back of your mind going into what you think the race is going to be. And that meteorologist is a Canadian team meteorologist. Yes. Yeah. Cool. You mentioned that you don't love this whole meteorologist part. What is it that, about sailing that you do love? You know, I love the competition side of racing. I love kind of that fleet. We, we race in 50, 50 boats. Um, so that fleet, big fleet element of positioning and, and the tactics of it all. Um, we, we're so fortunate to be out in so many beautiful places as well. Um, whether it's an ocean or a, or a lake or a river or whatever, like we really get to see a different type of view than most people would have. That's another thing that I really love about just sailing in general, like not even just competitive sailing, but being out in the water is just really special to me. It's interesting that you mentioned competition, that you love the competing aspect about it, because in the bio on the GP sail website, I'm going to quote here, after coming in second at the 2010 Youth Nationals, Sarah lost the love of competing and decided to coach youth athletes at Ashbridge's Bay Yacht Club for two summers. So what was it about coming in second that sort of had you, I don't know, having second thoughts about competing and like, how did you get over that? And like, what are your thoughts now about competing? And why did you mention it as being such a, you know, like one of the top things that you like about sailing now? 
Yeah, I think when I was a youth, I kind of had the wrong mindset or approach in that I love to win, but hate to lose. And often it's really about the process. And so what I love about competing is um, kind of pushing yourself to that next level, um, trying different techniques or elements in your racing and seeing if they're successful, but not necessarily, I don't, I'm not going out there thinking I want to win every single race. Um, I want to win an Olympic medal, but for me, it's a lot more process oriented, but that second place at that youth nationals um, absolutely killed me. And it led me to quitting sport. And actually the next summer I went to volleyball camp instead doing the next youth nationals. And it wasn't until I heard an Olympic champion from Canada speak that kind of inspired me more about the process. She was explaining her journey to the Olympics. And yes, an Olympic medal is fantastic. And it's what she had worked for and dreamed of, but she was most proud of the journey and who she became in chasing that. And that really inspired me to pursue my own Olympic dream. So this is a topic I actually really love talking about, especially with guests. And I, I love the process, but I sometimes wonder if that holds me back because I get you know, like so obsessed with the process that I forget that, you know, I'm on a starting line for a, there's a purpose. If you're on a starting line, you know, you're hoping to win or there, you know, like there is a goal for a race. It's not like you're just going to go out and do it yourself. So have you ever thought about that? And like, how do you sort of interweave the competitive aspect into, you know, your love of process? I think I've always been a competitive person and like it's, it's just ingrained in my family as well. You know, family game night gets heated. <laughs> I think that I'll always love that part. But what I like about switching to the process is that you don't fail if you don't win a race. But there is, I'm not saying there's no, like, of course there's reward in, in winning races. Um, and that's still a goal. But something that I've kind of had an evolution within my sailing even in the last couple of years is that it was so process oriented that I um, got a little bit complacent within it, within high performance, that, you know, a fifth place finish in a race was great. But you know what, that fifth place could have been a third place or a second place. And so just pushing myself a little bit more is kind of the evolution that I've recently taken in the last couple of years. And I think that continues to be a driving force because yeah, I still want to have that success and putting together those second places instead of fifth places will kind of get you towards the podium. And that is the dream. So I'm just, I mean, yeah, I'm still, I'm still working on figuring out the right balance of process versus results. What I've really learned over the last couple of years is that you're going to get the result by focusing on the process. Every time I've stated a result goal, like Okay, at this world championships, I need to come top 10. My process completely falls apart and I fall out of routine. And so now I'm really, really focused on going through the routine, going through my little process goals and elements and cues, and then having the confidence that that's going to bring me to the result that I want. Has been saying that you want a gold medal in Paris Olympics. Has that been... I don't know. Has that been a, a difficult thing? Has it been part of a process? You know, like, how is that fitting in? It's just a dream of mine. And, uh, you know, in Canada, 
we've never won a gold medal in the sport of sailing. And a female has actually never won a medal in general in sailing. I really believe in if you're going to strive for excellence, go for the top. I don't want to go just to participate at the Olympics. I want to stand on the podium and hear the national anthem, along with achieving some history for Canada and hopefully inspiring more people to take up the sport or chase their own dreams. So that's where really where I've kind of stated my goal and held, held myself a bit more accountable. And I'm not, yeah, I'm not afraid of saying that or even coming short of it, because I think it's really important to still state your goals when you're looking to achieve something. Yeah. I mean, it is really exciting that you are going for that and you're certainly been close. I've been close. Yeah. It definitely keeps me up at night <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> but I've been close. Tell me more about having goals. I mean, like this, obviously the Olympics are coming up. It's a big goal. Like what other kind of goals do you have and how do you keep track of them? And, you know, like how do you sort of process what, what that all is? Well, that's where our lovely spreadsheet comes into play again. <laughs> uh, I have so many different types of goals. Um, I have specific kind of process, technical, tactical, and mindset goals that I work through with my coach my mental performance coach and it's actually broken down to every single training camp that I have so I'm heading to France tomorrow um, I've got specific technical tactical and some mindset goals that I've kind of laid out to achieve and everything's kind of periodized in ultimately what is needed to win a gold medal in Paris um, that's amazing so everything's yeah it's it's a lot of planning yeah. It's definitely a long day sitting at, the, and we actually revisit it quite often, sitting at the Excel spreadsheet with my coach, figuring out, okay, to win a gold medal in Paris um, Olympics, what skills do we need? What do we need to work on? And so I'll go into a competition and my goal is to be, um, say, within five places of an end of a start line. That's like one specific small goal that I'll work on and try to achieve. And then hopefully I just add up all those small goals and stick to that process. And then at the end, there I'll be on the podium. <laughs> in Paris. Sounds easy, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> so easy, step by step. You've mentioned stars a couple of times. Explain stars because they are insane. And as you mentioned, you know, like there's close to 50 boats in your, in your category, in mm -hmm. your class. Yeah, so we essentially have a, I guess, a mass start. And we have a five-minute countdown. And the way it works in sailing is that we have two boats anchored perpendicular to the wind. And we have 45, essentially 50 boats starting at the same time. Now, there are advantages of starting um, maybe in the middle or, or a certain side of the line. And that could be because of wind. That could be when the race committee sets the start line. Maybe there's favor to one side. Um, current plays a factor and then you know you also in the sport of sailing you want to be in that front row because if you're second row say your wind's um it's like turbulent wind from other competitors but you can't be over the line which is a difficult thing then you get a what we call like a false start which is all of the points of the fleet so it's a difficult thing in that you need to push the line but you can't be over within really the last minute of the start sequence and then that go. 
how hard is it to position yourself? Yeah, it's it's pretty challenging. We spend a lot of time um, just doing slow boat maneuvers mm. and practicing. I think most training camps, there is an element of starting practice. I'm certainly doing a whole bunch in my next training camp where we'll do a lot of boat handling. We'll do time on distance. So figuring out how long the acceleration takes each wave, you know, depending on the size of waves can really slow you down, kind of figuring out that time on distance towards the line, figuring out if you're actually on the line, which is kind of a challenging thing can be. You can sometimes take a transit for on land if you line it up or sometimes it's kind of figuring it out and practicing it on the water. And it's a lot of work, and but it is crucial, a good start. I would say most of my races, if I have a good start, I'm probably in the top 10 at the top mark. At this camp that you're going to in France, I'm assuming it's not just you. There's going to be other Canadian racers there? There's not going to be any other Canadians. Uh, I'm part of an international training group. Oh, so that's cool. It's, yeah, it's, it's a really cool concept that we've created. So we're, I think it's kind of somewhat new, at least for the ILCA 6 class, that I'm in an international training group and we share everything. So typically you sail with other people from different countries, but you'll just go out sailing, line up, test your speed, but not really discuss anything at the end of the day. But I'm now part of this four athlete group with three coaches that we come back and we discuss everything. We discuss techniques. We take video of everything and we're really aligned on what we want to practice, which is really exciting. And I've got some fantastic sailors within my group. So I've got a Swedish athlete. She won a silver medal in Tokyo and she's going into her fourth Olympics. So she's very, very experienced, very talented. Um, the other athlete from Norway, she finished eighth in Tokyo and, and is a, definitely a top contender. And then the final athlete is from Finland and she missed the trials for Tokyo, but is very much a top 10, top 15 sailor and, and very talented as well. So I'm, I'm very excited about this training group that I'm in because it's really challenging and it's really pushing every day. And then I get to hear a new perspective from these different athletes. That, that is, is super. Nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How, lo- how long have you been involved in this group? Uh, it's coming up to about a year now, mm-hmm. maybe just under a year. We kind of tested the waters, as you could say, <laughs> last summer. And we've really kind of finalized this group and kind of figured out a rhythm and communication and organization as well. And it's been really nice. Is it weird sort of collaborating in such a, like an intense and sort of intimate way with who will be your competitors? I would say not necessarily who you'll be your competitors, because the weird thing about sailing is that you often have to train with people that you'll compete against. And we're all like friendly as well. So I like to say that a lot of things that happen on the water stay in the water. The interesting, interesting thing about this training group is the different cultures and the different approaches to everyone's sailing program and different ways of communicating. So that's been a challenge and something to, to really try to figure out what the cadence is and how we meet. And, you know, some people don't want to do an hour long video debrief, which like, fair enough. Some people want to do it. So just trying to figure out the balance and what's best for everyone. And that's been a really cool challenge. Um, and it's something that I personally have, have really liked to kind of explore as myself of seeing, okay, how can I 
enable this discussion by asking a certain questions or how can I get start like how can I really help moderate the discussions around different techniques and get what I need out of it as well. You sound very analytical. I would assume that that that's something that you're bringing to the group. Yes. Yeah. My coach and I probably bring a lot of analytical stuff. We're very systemized as well. Mm -hmm. So when we're discussing um, different techniques, we kind of have it like broken down very well. And something that we were practicing two weeks ago in France was developing feel within the boat, which they're more of a feel uh, specialty sailors. And I'm more of that analytical, um, like broken down into cues sailor. So that was really cool to kind of figure out the feelings that they're getting within the boat, which I don't necessarily fully get, or I'm working on to kind of be that feel sailor to kind of, they feel every single wave and they feel you know, what happens in the boat, um, which is kind of new to me. So it's, it's cool to, to still at this point, be learning a, a lot of new things and to be exposed to different approaches to sailing. Yeah, that's amazing. You've mentioned coaches. How many coaches do you have? I have one sailing coach. Okay. I have a whole team of Tell amazing me. experts. Yeah, what are you? I'm really, really fortunate to work with so many experts and individuals. So I have my sailing coach. Uh, I'm with him basically around the world all year round, we've been working together uh, for eight years. Then I have my strength and conditioning coach at the Canadian Sport Institute of Ontario. We've been working together for like nine years, I think at this point. Um, I have a mental performance coach. I have a nutritionist. I have a physiotherapist. Um, I hope I'm not forgetting anyone <laughs> in this listing, but I, I work with an amazing group of experts that all contribute to our program and bring their expertise in how to move forward as a group. And we have these like quarterly meetings as a group to kind of catch up and move everything forward. And I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. I've worked really hard to kind of develop it and get them all together in one room as well. So all of you, that whole group that you mentioned, all get together quarterly and talk about stuff. Yes. Wow. I love I it. Say, yeah. I would say about half of them are virtual. Obviously, yeah, sure. That's just the way things are these days. Exactly. But yes, we, we do quarterly uh, what we call IST meetings. So integrated support team. And we have an agenda and we discuss um, each expert kind of discusses what I guess they and myself have been working on and sharing it with the group so that we all kind of understand the whole picture. Because, you know, if I'm working on certain nutrition goals, my strength and conditioning coach needs to know. And yeah, just everyone's kind of collaborating and making sure that we've kind of got that whole program together, pushing for a gold medal. Did you know that the first time sailing was contested in the Olympics, men and women competed together? That was in 1900. And female Swiss sailor Helene de Portales, competing on a Swiss crew in those games, won a gold medal, making her the first woman ever to win an Olympic medal. Although sailing was an open-class sport, women did not have their own event until 1988. This first women's only event was in the two-person boat, the 470. 
the unbelievably tough regatta was won by Americans Allison Jolly and Lynn Jewell. Want to know the full story? Listen to episode 287 of Keep the Flame Alive for their soul story history moment. Keep the Flame Alive is the podcast for fans of the Olympics and Paralympics. It is a weekly show hosted by the very fun duo Jill Jaras and Allison Brown. They cover everything fans want to know about the Olympic and Paralympic movements, how sports work, history, host city information, and a whole lot more. Listen to Keep the Flame Alive on your favorite podcast player or find it at flamealivepod.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime, and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! And now, let's return to my conversation with Canadian Olympic sailor Sarah Douglas and find out what kind of training she does to be all set for her racing. Well, so let's move to your actual training. So it's like, what are you doing with your strength and conditioning coach? Yeah, I probably, uh, it's a mix of strength workouts and bikes or endurance type workouts. So in a sport of sailing, we're an endurance sport because our races are just under an hour long and we compete over six days. So it's important for us to collect that like base work. So today, for example, I did like an hour bike ride um, on the trainer and it really varies on whether I'm in the boat or not. So for example, if I'm in a training camp and I'm on the water for three hours a day, I will probably kind of limit that gym and cycling work to maybe a couple days a week. While if I'm back at home and in like a, off-water program, then it's probably looking at like two strength sessions and then three to four bike or running cardio type of days. And then I always like to sprinkle in some yoga or Pilates or something like that as well. And then uh, I always like to have a rest day, of course, but uh, it's <laughs> always, I'm always begging for a rest day more. Um, and, it, and it's nice. And so we've got my strength and conditioning. And then we've now got a physiologist on board that will help drive what, when it, what is needed and, 
and when is needed and um, the recovery of it all as well. What kind of strength are you doing? Strength training are you doing? We do a lot of legs and core-based work. Um, in the boat that I sail, it's very leg dominant. And then along with using your core, there is some arm work as well because you have to pull in the, the sheets. But I don't do anything like above head. That's just not what I need. I'm pretty tall and I'm always kind of watching my weight. So I'm doing exercises, like a strength exercise of say reps of 12. I do 12 squats with dumbbells on my side. And then I do another exercise. And then between my supersets, I'm going to like the ski erg for two minutes or the bike for three minutes or skipping. So I'm kind of working on that like anaerobic capability where it's not just strength. It's like there's actually actually cardio involved as well because I'm not just doing reps of like five and going for that like bulk strength. It's interesting that you say that your boat is uh, leg dominant because I mean, I think most people don't think of it sailing that way, you know, like you're holding the string. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I'm also <laughs> holding my body out. That's I know. Thing. So it's yeah in the in the lk6 it's kind of like you know you're sitting on a chair you hook your feet underneath a strap and then you lean out from that chair i guess is the kind of how i maybe describe it it's quite a lot of work on your legs and your core to hold your body out there because you're hanging from your feet i always loved that part that was to me it was the most fun hanging out of the boat like that I mean, it's fun, but it hurts. Yeah, <laughs> it, it really hurts. All right. So like, what what are you doing with your mental coach? Uh, we meet probably monthly and he's done a fantastic job in that uh, we've really stuck to those process goals. And now I actually make what we call goal sheets. And it's like every training camp or competition that I go into, I'm focusing on the routine and the process and what I need to do. And now we kind of have that like visual piece where I'll write down these process goals and I'll literally stick it to like my bathroom wall or keep it on my iPad or something that I kind of have it there if I don't if I don't have a printer. And we're really focusing on the process. Um, there's so many different elements and stressful things that can come into sailing as well, like not just... Um, the racing side, but the on land training, the coach athlete dynamic is of course a piece he works with both my coach and I in figuring out our communication and getting on the same page. And if we had any disputes or something, kind of getting aligned on that. And then we kind of discuss as well competition prep or um, Olympic prep, discussing what we do. We do some negative visualization. There's so many different elements that you kind of. I'm always working on, Yeah, I feel like, and um, channeling maybe some frustration in, in the racing or incorporating meditation, incorporating journaling is something that I've really done recently. Yeah, he's, he's fantastic. It was like, it's, I feel like it's never ending. Maybe that's just because I'm a piece of work. I don't know. <laughs> well, you know, the, preparing for the Olympics is, is God, it's, it's so filled with pressure. I mean, even if you think that you're handling it well, it's just there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure and it's shocking to see the best athletes fall to that pressure and mm -hmm. people act so differently during the Olympics because it's like something you've been working 
for your whole life and then you're finally there and they feel there's so much media attention and there's just so much going on. But at the end of the day, it's like a normal competition. So that's something that we've been kind of working on and you can kind of figure out, okay, where do I want to like limit my exposure to certain things and how do I normalize this and getting my like routine and make, make, I don't know, going through security and going through the media zone a normal experience because you're just trying to try to make everything as normal as possible uh, right. when you're in an Olympic games. You're lucky to have this team. That's awesome. I'm so, so lucky. I just, every time I, I meet with them, I, we just had a meeting last month and I was just like, you guys are the best. I'm so thankful yeah, That's great that you're all here. And they're, and they're all like so inspired to and motivated to work with me and in the program that we have. We talk a lot about nutrition on Hear Her Sports. You know, like what can you tell us about the nutrition program that you're on? I don't really follow a strict nutrition program. I used to in the past. But I think it becomes a little bit unhealthy, just a bit like physically and mentally for me. So the main things that I'm focusing on are just making sure that I'm eating at the right moments. Because we're on the water for a number of hours in a day, and you don't like eat during the race or drink during the race, right? So it could be quite a while until I can get water or get enough food. And that's something that I've been really working on is just the hydration aspect of sailing. Um, and being out in the water and in the sun. And that's probably my main focus, less on having a strict diet and being restrictive. For me, I just want to be healthy and have the right energy as well. I heard on another podcast that you were on that you mentioned that you were going through testing recently and that it was going to include skin calibers. It seemed like really dated for all the discussion we've been having on REDS and all the recent research on REDS. So we've been doing some of the skin caliper stuff. And the main thing is just to track how you are during the year. It's not necessarily, okay, we want to get to this certain body fat or we want to get to this mass. It's just, okay, you know what? Here, Sarah just did three back-to-back competitions. She's lost a little bit of her lean mass because she's been in Europe for a month and a half. Let's just now factor that in and how do we adjust Um, maybe getting a little bit more food in at the end of the training session or now let's okay she's lost a little bit of that muscle mass let's try and incorporate that into that gym program so it's less about yeah getting that like beach bod (laughs) um certain body fat percentage but just kind of having that like monitoring and awareness factor when I'm on the road so much um and so just kind of checking in and just keeping in check that everything's good and I'm keeping healthy. Are you able to sort of keep it that way and not go into the like, oh my God, I don't have that beach bod? Because as you said, you know, it's possible to go down a bad road. I used to in the past. I think I used to be pretty restrictive. And actually when I was restrictive and really trying to work hard and keeping a certain weight, I was getting sick often. Mm. So that's the main thing now is just making sure that I'm staying healthy and that I have enough energy to complete everything, and I'm less focused on weight or how I look. Um, and having, like, I don't really, I mean, of course, six pack's nice, but I don't, I don't have one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it, the main thing is just like, am I healthy? And do I have enough energy? Yes, yes. Okay, great. Let's continue. Yeah, I bet it's helpful to have a nutritionist who's sort of like, I don't know, guiding you along the way. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we're not fixated on weight either. Like I kind of told her, I don't need to really know my weight. I don't need to dive into yeah the body fat percentage of it all. It's just like, do I have enough energy? How am I feeling? Weight is a little bit of a factor in that. Like I have to be within a certain range, but I basically am there on a normal day. You have to be in a range for, for good performance of your boat or for some sort of limit requirements of the sport? No, just good performance. Got it. Okay. Uh, I'm a taller athlete, so sure. yeah. uh, just, I guess, being a little bit leaner, but I'm six feet tall, so I'm going to be mostly lean anyways with right. measuring demands. Right. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about what's going on in GP sailing. I'm super excited about that whole program. So I'd love to hear more about the what they're doing to get more women involved. And if you could tell us about, you know, like what it is and how you've been involved. Yeah, so uh, we have this really exciting professional series in sailing and it's called Sail GP. And it's basically like the Formula One of sailing. Yeah, those and boats are fast. They go insanely fast. <laughs> they go like 80, 90 kilometers an hour. Yeah, it's just crazy. And yeah, and last year Canada purchased a team, which is really exciting for our country. And we've never really been part of that, like part of the sport um, in that professional league. So it's it was really exciting for Canada to put together a team. And I was fortunate enough to get involved just for one event. I'm, I've got, a, as you can imagine, a very busy schedule with Olympic sailing being my priority. So I only just did the one event with the team. But I was the strategist on the boat, kind of communicating the wind and a couple things that were happening on the race course. And it was really, really exciting for me. And I learned a ton as well. What's it like to be on that boat? I mean, as I said, those boats are super fast. And when you watch the videos, they look super fast. When you're on it, does it feel super fast? It feels super fast. (laughs) Uh, When that turns... You can feel the G-forces. Wow. And you're actually tethered into the boat. Thank God, because I I would have flown out for sure in one of the races. I remember I was sliding along the back, trying to switch sides during a maneuver. And I would have continued sliding out of the boat if I wasn't clipped on. So there is actually a huge safety aspect. And we do a lot of safety training as well, just in case things were to go wrong. But... It goes very, very fast. Things happen in a blink of an eye. They're only 15-minute races. And oh, so wow. you have to make decisions very, very fast. Yeah, my, my, my own racing is like 45 minutes to an hour. I have loads of time to make a decision compared to what you would have at Sail GP. Um, so it's just a different element, a different type of racing. It's very fast. It's very exciting. How have you been liking that? Uh, it was really cool. It was a new new element for me because um, as a strategist, you have to communicate what you're seeing out in the water. And it's different from my type of sailing because it's usually just me in the boat. So I'm usually having just like an inner dialogue. And as a strategist, you have to communicate out loud to, the, I guess, the driver and the team, the key information and what's important. And just, I guess, establishing that communication loop was something new and really cool for me because it really helped my own sailing and just having that like out loud discussion mm. about the wind and everything. So that was, that was really cool. I remember coming from Copenhagen right back to my own 
boat in Marseille and just had such a different perspective on the race course and seeing everything a lot more eyes out of the boat and seeing what's happening with the race course and the competitors. Um, because at, at, at a certain point, I don't need to be looking into my boat and focusing on technique because that's now kind of second nature. And it's really cool to kind of have that new perspective on what's happening on the race course. Did your own boat feel really slow when you got back into it? So slow. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I have to work so hard to go so slow. I'm like, it's going to take me forever to get to this mark. It was right. insane. Do you imagine going back to that after the Olympics? You know, that's always a hard question, post-Olympic questions. Um, yeah, I would I would like to. because. Um, I just don't have time currently to do it and with Paris being my focus, but if the Canada team is there and maybe if they welcome me back, then yeah, I would, I would love to kind of hop back in the boat and, and try it out again and maybe be more involved in the league than I currently am. That would be, that would be really cool. What is the road to the Olympic team? So we have a process in that you have to qualify the country first. So we only have, in the sport of sailing, uh, one representative per country. And so a big part of getting to Paris is qualifying your country to be on the start line. That's going to be this summer at the World Championships, the first opportunity to to at least, I think it's like something like the first 16 countries or so at the 2023 World Championships will qualify for the Paris Olympics. Um, so it's just a two-step process when trying to qualify for the Paris Olympics in the sport of sailing. First, you have to qualify the country, and then each country has their own internal selection process. Um, so some people will have certain events as a trials. Some people will have a committee. It's just really up to what country and what they believe in. For Canada, I have an opportunity to early qualify myself at those world championships by having a top performance, top eight specifically to get individually selected for Paris. That sounds doable. I mean, <laughs> yes, <laughs> top eight at the world championships is challenging. It is. Um, especially when everyone's like trying to peak to qualify their country. It is, it is certainly doable. I've definitely been there before, but I'm, of course I'm focusing most on country qualification and the process as right. always. Right. Um, and then if I do all those things, Correctly, I believe I have the ability to qualify uh, myself as an individual. So after the world championships, let's say you are ninth, but you, mm-hmm. you know, obviously have qualified Canada. How mm-hmm. do you get? How do you get selected? Yeah, then we'll go on to a uh, two event trials. So they have two competitions that they've already selected, and the best Canadian out of those two events gets selected for the Olympics. Okay. Um, so that'll be the. 2024 World Championships, the beginning of January, and then um, Palma World Cup, which is in April. Got it. All right. Yeah, I'm pretty confident in my ability of qualifying myself, whether that's like early at the Worlds in 2023 or within the selection process in 2024. It's all right now just how do I best prepare for the Paris Olympics um, and putting those right goals forward. Do you have any foibles or quirks or something like that? Um, good question. I I only really have 
one superstition, if that counts. Sure. Uh, I don't include green rope on my boat. Uh, it's just like a, that's probably a quirk about my own sailing is that I don't believe in putting green rope. It's something that I grew up with um, that people in Barbados really believed in. It represents land. Oh, that's interesting. Cool. I yeah. So I will never have a green rope on my boat. <laughs> is it normal um, to have green rope on a boat? Some people do. Okay. I hopped into my training partner's boat last year and she had green, like it was basically all she had. Oh my God. And, <laughs> There were a number of things wrong with her boat, and I just said, you need to sell this boat and get rid of it immediately, um, <laughs> including the green lines. Don't right. use those again. But yeah, that's probably the like superstitious or like the quirky thing. I, I feel like I'm kind of simple. Great. This has been a fantastic conversation. I thought it was, uh, I don't know, there was just a lot of really cool stuff that you talked about. Thank you. Yeah, no, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a great convo. I know I can sometimes talk a lot, so. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sarah, for a terrific conversation. I am so excited to follow your racing this summer and even beyond that towards Paris Olympics and in the Olympics. Thanks to you, everyone, for listening. I always appreciate it. It really is true that your comments and notes make this particularly worthwhile for me. It's, of course, fantastic to talk to the incredible women that I do for the show, but it's bringing the conversations to you and having their stories heard that is important. So tell your friends. You can always reach out, email elizabeth at hearhersports.com or connect through socials at hearhersports. And there's a contact page on the website, hearhersports.com. Visit Sarah's show notes page to see some photos of her and her boat sailing very quickly, along with some links to things mentioned in the episode. Hear Her Sports is a proud member of Evergreen Podcasts. For more information or to check out other shows on the network, please visit evergreenpodcast.com. And until next time, so long. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato and this is Pit Pass F1, a brand new podcast that'll take you closer to the action of the world's most prestigious motorsport. From Monaco to Miami and Australia to Azerbaijan, Pit Pass F1 is on the ground and has you covered. Esteemed F1 journalists Julianne Serasoli and Chris Medland will take you inside the sport every round. They'll keep you up to date with the latest news breaking in Formula One and the most influential views shaping the world of Grand Prix racing. Every Friday, we'll be bringing you a track guide and race preview, and Chris and Drew will be in your feed every morning from Saturday through to Monday to keep you up to date on all the day's action on and off the track. So if you want to be in the know on the latest in Formula One, subscribe wherever you get your favourite podcasts and visit us at evergreenpodcasts.com. Pit Pass F1, a brand new show for Evergreen Podcasts.